Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here for another weekly episode of uh, this program that's been going on for so many years, but hopefully continues to be renewed and resonating on personal matters. And, and this, this week we'll be talking about how to achieve spiritual wellness. I want to open by dedicating this program in loving memory of Warren Elliot Pallets, Wolf Eliyahu, upon his recent passing on the 12th of Tavis. To our dear friend, Donna, may you be consoled among all the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem, and only know joy in your life and your family going forward. So the words we'll be sharing here on the honor of your dear brother, and may his neshama, his soul, go in its peaceful journey to the next leg of its journey. And may these words that we share here, that are brought to so many people, stand in his good merit. So how to achieve spiritual wellness? Now, can a person, for instance be perfectly healthy body-wise, physically body-wise. However, spiritually, soul-wise, not be healthy and be a happy person. It's a good question to ask yourself. Because the fact is, being that we are material beings and we relate to the material much more than to the ethereal and the spiritual, so most people, most of us, at least on a basic level, are aware of what constitutes physical health. How do we maintain our physical bodies in a healthy way? That it should be fit through nutrition, through exercise, rest. But when it comes to the, but when it comes to the soul, are we aware of how do we maintain the soul's health? What does it even mean to nourish nurture, and cultivate a soul's powers? Do we understand the implications and the importance of spiritual health in our lives? And of course also the negative impact when a person does not have a spiritually healthy life, what are the consequences? How does it impact? How does it affect us? That's what we're going to be speaking about. So, it's always good to begin from the beginning, which is to define the human being. Because before we talk about health, first we have to define what is it that we're keeping, trying to preserve its health. And if you don't know the personality and what constitutes the human being, it's very difficult to talk about what will make us healthy and what makes us unhealthy. So no matter what background you come from, no matter what belief system or no belief system you would, you would abide by, the fact remains that all of us have a number of forces and voices that drive us, our drives. One simple way to break it down, which I discuss very many times, is these two voices, these two drives, one we'll call the drive for survival, and one, the drive for transcendence. 
So survival is the easier one to describe, which is what? That is a human being needing to survive in this world. Survival includes food, drink, shelter, clothing, social interactions, protection from the elements, a home, I mentioned shelter before, and many other things that you can include in this list. Some are absolutely necessary, some may be optional, but we all have our need to survive, pay our bills, to be able to live in this world. And we do whatever we need to do to achieve that type of security, if you wish, material security. Some of us have more than money we need, and we actually have the luxury of being able to make more choices. But then there's another voice, another drive within us, and we'll call it the transcendent drive. And that is where survival is simply not enough. That even if you had all the money in the world, and all the homes, and, and, and the lights, and all the things that sustain you, and beyond, there's still something inside of us that seeks. We have the seeker, and we aspire, and we dream. Not just for more homes and more money, but there's something in our restless spirit that causes us to want to find something more. Now, for some of us, it may be um, that we, the outlet for that may be through travel, art, music, the sciences. For some, it's romance, love, intimacy. For others, it may be religion, spirituality, faith. Whatever terms you use for it, you'll see one thing in common, that it's breaking out of and going beyond survival. That it's not just about functioning and functioning well, but it's seeking something beyond ourselves. I don't know how many times I've used this analogy, but it's just an excellent analogy, so we'll use it in the in this words of King Solomon, the Ne'er Hashem, the flame of God, is the soul of a human being. Now, for those of you that don't want to use the word God, don't use the word God. We've talked about that word many times. But something, a flame inside of us, and as a flame, it defies gravity. It seeks, it aspires, it's drawn upward. The wick, compared to the body, grounds it. And a life, a healthy life, needs both. If we were all to expire in spiritual ecstasy, we wouldn't survive in this world. We'd be annihilated by the light, so to speak. If, on the other hand, we don't have any of that flame, then we just essentially, like couch potatoes, in a, sen- a certain type of comfort zone that keeps us lethargic and static. And essentially that restlessness, that angst that makes us so unique is missing. So the key is the balance between these two forces. And that indeed is a challenge. It's not always easy. But we do have the two voices. Identify it in yourself. Everyone has it. And as I said, we find different outlets. I'm not even talking about unhealthy outlets, destructive outlets. But even on a healthy version, even a healthy outlet, there's also many forms. I I just mentioned a few of them. So what do we do? What we do is usually, as we grow into our lives and, and mature, we find ways, usually through compartmentalization and bringing these two so-called drives together, 
not really working hand in hand, but compartmentalization. There's the nine to five job or whenever your hours are, and then there's the evenings, and then there's the vacation, there's the weekends, and the vacations, times holidays, special days, significant dates, where we experience and try to experience something beyond. In many ways, you can explain most of human ailments, the addictions that we get trapped in, whether it's drug addiction or alcohol or gambling or sex addiction or others, is actually a distorted version of that hunger, thirst, not being satisfied, we feel deprived, and we're looking for some high. And whatever comes our way, sometimes it could be something that ends up being hurtful and even addicted. As a matter of fact, the more addicted someone is, the more passionate they are. However, it's come to the point where it's misdirected and it's controlling you instead of you controlling it. I don't want to digress. I just wanted to point out how that drive and voice is so vital in our lives. That's why it's, it gets us into trouble as well. If we were just living in a form of animal bliss and there's no angst and no restlessness, we also don't get into much, too much trouble because you just stay in a mediocre state without much movement. But the spirit of the human being does move and is restless. Different times in lives and different stages in different ways but there's a flame flickering within each of us. So these two drives define so much of who we are. And I would even add, even though we're talking about the conscious, but even on the superconscious level, these two conscious drives clearly reflect also superconscious drives. Because behind the scenes, there's always the different voices that are driving our survival mode. And even more so, when it comes to the transcendental mode, who knows? What dimensions in our spirit are driving that need to transcend? We'll be talking about that some more soon. So now, the question is a simple one. But the answer is not so simple. What's the simple question? Are these drives being expressed in a healthy way? Is there a healthy balance? And is each one serving in a healthy way? So for instance, if survival mode is your dominant mode and, and really the rest, your transcendence is somewhat muted it can't be completely healthy because what are you doing with all those aspirations, what are you doing with all that restlessness so the fact that people begin to indulge in material pleasures for instance, in instant gratification in hedonism that could really be a mask that's just covering up the hunger for something transcendent. So we just transfer it, not necessarily to our satisfaction. It never will work because you cannot satisfy a transcendent yearning and inclination with a survival response, but we can try. And we get ourselves into a lot of trouble doing so. Because then what we're doing is like replacing the need for something higher, something greater, with some type of immediate gratification, something that I can right now hold on to, which really belongs in the world of survival. On the other hand, as I mentioned, if a person is very spiritually sensitive, but they don't have their feet on the ground and cannot engage in this world and relationships because they are so abstract or ethereal and removed, that too cannot be a completely healthy scenario because we do live in a material world. We do live, live a soul inside of a body. 
So health, I would define in this context, using expressions that have been stated by great thinkers before us, a sound soul inside of a sound body. So the body has to be healthy, literally physically healthy, its hygiene, its fitness, as I mentioned before, nutrition-wise, exercise-wise, rest-wise. The soul has to be healthy in its own particular way, which of course we shall be talking about, and they have to work in a healthy way with one another. So really it's like three, three stages here, or three components, I should say. The body's health, the soul's health, and then joining together. And I would submit that if you don't have a body health and a soul health, it's going to be very difficult to find a healthy way of integration. Because both of them are somewhat compromised. We are, of course, focusing not on the body's health, because that deserves its own discussion, and perhaps by experts greater than me on that topic. We're speaking primarily on spiritual health and well-being, spiritual wellness. But you cannot ignore that it goes hand-in-hand with physical health. On a very basic level, if a person is not physically healthy and there's some way in discomfort or in pain or another, some physical compromise, then a soul is also going to be compromised because the body is the vehicle for the soul. And if the vehicle is injured or wounded or limited, it's going to not allow the soul to really fully express itself. In the words of the great Magad of Mizrich, he says this, A small hole in the body is a large hole in the soul. Because it's the vehicle. It's the container. It's the channel that our soul travels with and through in this lifetime. So it's also vital to our spiritual vitality to make sure that we have a physical, that we're physically healthy and intact. So then let us talk about this soul. And it's interesting, the parallels to the body are many, though very different dimension, but we can learn lessons. When it comes to the human body, what is health? So today, thank God, we have doctors, we have experts of fitness. Through trial and error over the years, we've learned about the human body. We've learned of its different parts, different organs and limbs, and internal structures, cellular structure. Well, let's start with the circulatory and nervous systems, neurological systems, and then going deeper into the molecular, the chemical, biological, and then finally the cellular level. And learning what this body is like and testing and seeing things that make the body work better or different parts of the body work better, we've identified different interventions or different exercises or even different ingestions of supplemental vitamins and the minerals and, of course, exercises, physical exercises, emotional exercises, all types of exercises that help fine-tune and align the body to be in a hum along in a much healthier way. So, applying that principle to the soul, does the soul also have parts? And are the parts the same or are they different? And if we can identify their differences, then we can identify what feeds each part of the soul. Now, this is usually not taught in school. The body structure, physical structure, our physiological beings, we learn a lot about. And there's much information in literature. When it comes to the soul, there's much less because a soul cannot be seen under a microscope. And an x-ray will not help. 
body, we've found CAT scans and different type of scans and tests and expertise to understand the body and its functions, and there's still many mysteries. When it comes to the soul, we need different type of tools. We need soul tools, let's call them that, spiritual tools. But the soul, too, is made up of components, and each component has its own nutrients, its own needs for its own unique nutrients, quote-unquote. Not physical nutrients, spiritual nutrients. But just to show you how they really work hand-in-hand, just a simple example. Intake of food. You ingest a meal. So you put it into your mouth, you chew, it breaks it down, it enters your system. What happens? This physical piece of food, whether it's an apple, whether it's a protein, whether it's a fat, whatever it is, is broken down by the digestive system. The waste will be eliminated. The nutrients will be absorbed into the bloodstream, but no longer is it the original matter. It's been broken down. And what did you extract from it? What did the body extract from it? The energy within that particular food that in turn turns into our blood and oxygenated becomes part of sustaining us. And we need a constant steady flow of of fuel on a daily basis to go through this process. In a way, you've taken matter and turned it into energy. I say in a way, it's not in a way, it's actually that's what we did. We took a piece of matter, we tapped its energy, and it became part of our energy. So right there you see more than just a physical survival thing going on. And in the beautiful, eloquent words of the verse, it says, not on bread alone does a human being live, but on the spark, the divine spark within the bread. It's not just the physical bread, it's the energy within the bread that joins your energy and energizes you, enlivens you, gives you sustenance, strength, power. So even in the physical act of a simple meal, we see a certain spiritualization. Here, defined as spiritual energy that is becoming part of our lives, which is more than just a physical body. It's not just gas and and gasoline in an automobile. It's actually becoming part of our energy. But let's take it, of course, to a further level. Once it becomes part of our energy, what does that energy look like, as I said? If the soul is a form of energy, a form of electricity that's running through the body, what does that look like? Is it made up of parts? And the answer is absolutely. So the soul itself is indivisible. Think of it like a seamless form of energy contained within this structure called the body. It's another discussion of its own, how it's contained, how can it remain contained, spiritual energy, why is it not Why is it confined? Why is it not just escape? But it is contained in your body through your lifetime. That soul has not just life energy. It's not just giving you electricity so you can walk and talk and go through the motions of whatever it is life is called, biological life consists of. There's something else. The soul also has, gives you faculties. There's faculties. Intelligence, emotions, creativity, imagination. All the faculties that define, that, that define your personality, and I should say your unique personality. So the soul isn't just an electricity. Electricity in a, an appliance doesn't have personality. It's electricity 
really shapeless electricity can go into a light bulb, into an air conditioner, into a refrigerator, into any other appliance, to your computer. However, the soul's energy consists of personality. It has faculties. Now, how do we know this? Because upon death, God forbid, when the soul separates from the body, what's left is an empty container. Everything's intact. Could be intact. The body's intact, but there's not just the energy is no longer there, the personality is no longer. Where, where did it go? So according to the mystics and the Kabbalists and the Hasidic masters, it always remains. Now it's no longer confined in the box. As I've described many times, think of electricity after you pull the plug on an appliance. Electricity doesn't disappear. It's no longer confined in that box, in that refrigerator, or whatever other appliance. And yet it retains those unique elements, its characteristics and personality, which came alive when it was inside the body, which we know to, which we all know about because we're in contact with our, our loved ones, our friends, and people we interact with. You're interacting not just with an empty shell. You're interacting with a soul inside of a body. You're act- interacting not just with a survivor, meaning someone that's in survival mode and functioning and breathing, but you're interacting with a soul. However, because we're less soulful and our soul consciousness perhaps is not as cultivated and evolved, that doesn't mean it can become, it's harder to understand initially. But if you think about it, it makes total sense. As a matter of fact, you can argue the soul is far more important because it's the energy within it all. The appliance needs to be intact. Like I said, we need a vehicle that works. But what really defines a human being? It's your personality. It's your unique character. It's your unique contributions. How you think, how you feel, how you interact. All your all that you bring to the table, your unique self, the psyche. So if you think of it that way, okay, it's one thing I need to keep my vehicle intact and maintain it, make sure it's healthy and, as I said, humming along. But I need even more so to make sure that my soul personality, the energy that defines me, is intact. And more than just intact, is thriving, is dynamic, has vitality. So... Yes, indeed, the mystics explain that the soul is made up of components, of parts. But again, the soul itself is indivisible. It carries, as they say, in the Hebrew expressions, nefesh neisikeches. The soul carries within it the potential faculties. It's not the sum of the parts. So think of it as some type of like amorphous, nebulous energy, but within it lies all types of powers. Just to give an example, Think of an artist. An artist paints great, creates great, beautiful art. Or an author. Or a composer. And so on say, does the artist define the, the person? Not necessarily. It's one thing that he, he's able to do. He also may be a father or a mother or a husband or a wife or another, many other things. May have other talents. So, the, so you say, so one second. So what, how does the artist within him relate to the rest of him or her? The answer is, this is an entire entity, this human being, and with many different so-called potential faculties, potential powers, one of them is art. Maybe the best one that he has, maybe the most admirable, the most powerful. The same with the soul. The soul itself is not defined by its personality, but it has 
many different ways of expressing itself. And in general, they're called ten faculties, which actually evolve from the ten attributes, divine attributes. And you may be familiar with them. They divide into three cognitive faculties and seven emotional ones. Within the seven emotional, it's three primary emotional, and the last four are more functional emotions, meaning emotions as they relate to implementation and execution. And here, here's their names. The three cognitive, Chachma bin Adat in Hebrew, which can be translated wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, but even more accurate translation may be Chachma is the concept, to conceive of an idea. Bina is the understanding, the fleshing out, and the development of an idea. And Das is the conclusion, the resonance, the clarity, coming to the conclusion of an idea. The emotions, as I said, break into seven, three, four. Three emotions, primary driving emotions, love and attraction. Its antithesis is discipline and we could say um, uh, restraint. And number three, compassion and empathy. These are three key emotions, rude emotions. They in turn lead to another four, which are closer to implementation of these emotions. And they are determination and ambition, flexibility, yielding, bonding, and finally dignity, Sovereignty, you're in the way your individuality. If you're familiar with my book on the Omer, the Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer, you'll find focus on these seven emotions as they break down into even more detail because each one of these seven, or ten, I should say, have the other ten within them. So there's the conception within the conception, there's the comprehension within the conception, there's Chachma within Chachma, Bina within Chachma, there's Chesed within Gvura and Gvura within Chesed. There's love within restraint and restraint within love. And if you were to dissect and evaluate and examine each one of these emotions and the detail of that emotion, you would discover where you stand. Some of us are very strong and very healthy in our giving. Others are not too good at giving. They need to work on it. So just like the body may have a deficiency or may have an imbalance, the soul too can have that. Some of us are very good at restraint and discipline and discretion, but don't have enough of the chesed, the love, as I mentioned. You can have the love and not have discretion and not know when to stop giving. So there are many, many examples, which I'm not going to go through in detail here, because I can refer you, if you go to our site, meaningfullife.com, you'll find essays and articles and exercises that address all these different elements. But the fact that what I do want to emphasize is that the soul is made up of parts. Or I should say the soul includes and encompasses parts. And by identifying those different parts of your transcendent personality, you can actually learn how to nourish it and how to nurture it. You also learn to identify which are your strengths, and which are not so much your strengths. You don't have to be strong in all ten, just like you see in a human body. Not everybody's strong in every particular area. Some people have strengths in some areas and others in other areas. But the key is that you want to learn 
how to maintain it and how to feed it and nourish it, each component respective to its particular needs. So to take an example with love, most people think love or kindness is just who we are, we love. But what really behinds behind love? So some say it's that idea that we are kind and giving to others. Since you've blessed, been blessed, you should give to another, like an obligation almost. Others say love is something that is really a way of sharing. You love and you're loved in return. But if you think of love as actual piece of you, so think of it like a muscle, a spiritual muscle in your being, so then when you love, you know what you're doing? You're exercising that muscle. And when you don't love, that muscle can atrophy, or at least be weaker. Exactly as it is with the human body, but of course a different dimension. If you don't use your muscles, if you don't use different parts of your body, what happens? They weaken. They don't have the, great, the ability to actualize their great potential. When you condition them, that's what you're doing. You're working them out. Same thing, we work out our spiritual muscles. If a person doesn't use their mind, whether, whatever three levels of the cognitive, what do you think happens? That mind becomes like a muscle, like, a, like an entity that is not being realized or actualized as much as it could be. So the more we understand each part of our soul, the more we understand how and why we need to nurture and literally cultivate and nourish that part of us. So when you sit and you use your mind and you concentrate, and especially on matters that are spiritual in nature and transcendent in nature, your mind is being conditioned. When you use your emotions, not just for selfish gain, but to experience transcendence as well, to experience something greater than yourself, then your emotions are being conditioned and refined and developed. And each one component of the soul has that dimension to it and has its particular exercises that you need to make that part of you healthier. Now there's another thing I should add into the equation. The plot thickens. And that is that the soul has five dimensions to it. Within these ten faculties, there's five dimensions. There's the biological element of the soul as it relates to the body. It is more transcendent than the body, as we spoke about earlier, but it's more or less the soul, the electricity that's really feeding, energizing the body. So we'll call it the biological survival dimension of where soul meets body, meets its vehicle. That's the soul at its lowest, or let's call it most superficial or surface level. The next level of soul is its emotional life. The third level is its intellectual life. The fourth level is its transcendence. And the fifth is its connection, its utter connection to the deepest levels of, of, uni of unity, where things all are one seamless whole. So you see that within the soul itself, we have different dimensions and our life experiences, you can bring all those dimensions into an experience. For instance, talk about love and relationships. You can love another person purely on the lowest level of the soul, purely biological. You're attracted to one another, sexually attracted, and biology kicks in. But many times you can be attracted to someone physically and biologically, and there's nothing else there. Can you emote? Do you like that person? Do you, do you stimulate each other emotionally? 
Some people you can fall in love with a model on a page in a magazine, and when you meet that person, there may be nothing in common emotionally. Do you care about the person? And I don't mean care, just the momentary care in order to get what you want biologically. Then comes level three. Do you share ideas? Do you stimulate yourself, each other intellectually? And then comes the transcendence. Spiritual compatibility. Do you share a vision together? Do you share how you want to change the world in some positive way? And then finally, number five, is when things are you're so bonded that you don't even distinguish between your, your specific identity because you're part of something greater. It's like being absorbed in a greater cause, like being in the zone where you're not even conscious of yourself. The other four levels are still levels of consciousness. All this is coming to show, and of course you can imagine the mystical teachings and Hasidic writings, you'll find elaboration on this, but all of it comes to show that the soul is a full-bodied entity. Full-bodied entity, I don't know if the word bodied I meant literally, but it's a full-dimensional entity that deserves attention, care, Nourishment, exercise, and every possible level. It's essentially introducing transcendence in everything that you do. On all levels, biological, emotional, intellectual, transcendent, and unifying. And when you are aware of this, and then you pay attention to your soul, there your journey takes on a whole new dimension, a whole new meaning and significance, because it's lifted up to a soul-focused life, as opposed to just a body-focused one. And you are aspiring to constantly work out and condition your soul to give forth its enormous reservoir of energy. Because when you can do that, then your mind works sharper, and your emotions are more, have more clarity and more uh, crystallization and your actions and your behavior is all informed by deeper dimensions of your soul's experience. That's the power that we're talking about. And that power is tremendous because that means you're then tapping into enormous reservoirs, enormous reservoirs of potential you may never have been aware of. As the Kabbalists explain, that when you use your mind well, what you're really doing is opening up a door between the conscious mind to the superconscious mind. And drawing from it. And the more you push yourself, the more you exert yourself, the more you can draw from that transcendent soul energy into your mind. And the same thing emotionally. When you work on your emotions, on your love, you don't just love by rote, by rote and are satisfied with yesterday's accomplishments. You push yourself. You work at it. You're creative. So you draw out from the soul is transcendent emotional power to elevate your emotions to another dimension. And the same with each step of the way, whether it's love, discipline, empathy, determination, flexibility or yielding, bonding and dignity, all of them, the soul adds that element of ongoing energy. The body, at the end of the day, even though it takes work, 
exercise, nutrition, rest, and other things. And you can continuously improve your body because it's always dealing with toxins and other forces. But there is, you can see an end. I mean, just, there's a certain limit how much you can condition a muscle and how much you can exercise. There's some people go to extremes, but in a normal, balanced way, there's a, there's, there's a limit. Where you get to a point, the right weight, the right muscle tone, the right balance in your other areas in, of your life. That too takes work to maintain and keep it that way. But when it comes to the soul, there's a whole new remarkable dimension. And that is, you're entering into a world that has layers upon layers on layers. And that's the mystery of it, so is the power of it. Because you can tap into potential you never can even imagine. And as you grow, you're accessing transcendence. And transcendence does not have the limits of survival. Survival, there's not much you can eat. There's not much you can sleep. There's not much you can do to keep yourself functioning and healthy. But when it comes to the soul, you're talking about the enormous infinite potential that you have. And one other key element, when it comes to the body, even though no two bodies are alike, no two faces are alike, but it doesn't have quite the same uniqueness when you talk about the soul. In the soul, our true indispensability comes alive. Because each soul has its own unique mission. And then it goes into a unique vehicle called the body to travel and carry it through this world, through this life. But the soul has indispensability that you and only you can accomplish. Your song, your music. So that transcendent element of the soul adds a certain potency of uniqueness of distinction, of exclusivity. And the beauty of that is that it's not exclusive at the expense of others. We are all part of one larger cosmic composition. So your song, your music, your musical notes are absolutely necessary, but so is another's. And just as they need yours, you need theirs. And we complement each other in one seamless, beautiful symphony. Seamless. Because when it comes to bodies, another distinction is is that bodies are separate. Even if we work together, fine. So we work together. But they don't really melt into each other. Think of a flame, two flames, they become one. When we synergize spiritually, then we not only bring our uniqueness, but the uniqueness combines with the others in such a seamless way you can't even tell. Think of a musical symphony. It has so many different notes and so many different inflections and so many different rhythms and yet they come together harmony within diversity far more than bodies can do now obviously healthy bodies working together souls are working together and the bodies can work together but true love true connection is always when the spiritual dominates the material when energy is more powerful than matter because matter at the end of the day divides and spirit unites so the energy transcendent level of soul is also a unifying force. And therein lies yet another virtue and benefit that when you nurture that and you nourish it, you gain and you tap into all that powerful energy that is unifying, that sees the bigger picture. In a way, just as an example, you may have heard the TED Talk, a famous TED Talk a number of years ago. I think it was a stroke of genius 
written by a neuroscientist, who talks about her personal stroke that she suffered. She went into neuroscience, into neuroscience because her brother was a, psych, a schizophrenic. But then she describes her own stroke, which affected the left side of her brain, which focuses on, this, on details. The right side of the brain is the unifying force. And she describes how literally she cannot pick up a toothbrush. Because even though she understood it, and she understood the purpose, the toothbrush, the toothpaste, the teeth, but she saw the seamless picture of it, which is the right side of the brain, and not being able to make the distinction, here's my fingers, I need to pick up this specific toothbrush. So in many ways, there's two parts to our brain. One is, gives us the picture of things, it connects things. And the other is the details of the picture. You want both together. Because if you only have the details and you don't have the narrative, you're missing, of course, the punchline, the main thing. And if you have the whole narrative but you don't have the details, that too is not something that, is, that we can endure in this material world. So it's joining structure with the vision. Transcendence with existence. Transcendence with survival. The two forces coming together. And the healthier we feed, the, the healthier the soul is, meaning through our nourishing and feeding it, and not, uh, definitely not depriving it, the more it can do its job in contributing. And the same thing with a healthy body. And then they can join together like partners. One is, of course, the driver, the captain of the ship, and one is the ship, like I said, the vehicle. And they can work hand in hand in creating a very healthy and harmonious approach to life. But it's all predicated on the soul, because if you don't have, you can have a ship intact. The vehicle can be in perfect tip-top shape, but if the captain is not there, if the direction is not there, if you don't have the guidance, the GPS, the compass, then it's a vehicle, it's a very good tool chest, but to what end? The soul provides the end, it provides the purpose, it provides the meaning provides a transcendent dimension that's more than just the here and now. So we talk about how to achieve spiritual wellness. You achieve it by, one, you need to become aware of your soul ticking, and ticking inside of you. Ignoring it, obviously, is not going to help you make it healthier. You need to be aware of it. So look for signs. Where does that soul speak to you? It can speak to you in joy. It can speak to you in pain. Anxiety is a soul that's asphyxiated, seeking balance. It can speak in joy when you see something resonate with you. You listen to music. You experience something and it like lifts your spirit. There's your soul speaking. So the first thing is identify the soul within you. On a daily basis, look for signs of the soul speaking to you. It won't always be easy. Sometimes you say, is that my soul? Is it my intuition? Is it my intelligence? Is it my experience? But soulfulness is always going to be connected to something a little more transcendent. When you have that inclination to do something for another, that's your soul speaking to you. Bodies don't speak in that language. So the first step is awareness and paying attention. Just like a child. You know what a child needs more than anything else? Not gifts, not trips, not videos. Attention that you are showing the child, I care. I know you're there. 
So many children complain. My parents never knew I was there. They never they ignored me. They gave me gifts. They gave me things to keep me busy. But sometimes all you want is that gaze of a loving mother and a loving father looking at the child and just nodding, saying, you know, I see you there. I value you for who you are. Not for what you do and not what you do for me, but for who you are. The soul is exactly the same. It needs attention. Like a flower. It's the attention you gift it. You water it. You give it attention. That's what makes it blossom. And God forbid the opposite causes it to wither. So the awareness, the attention, identifying soulfulness in different things that you do. And you'd be surprised. That alone is already nourishing it. With the body, it's not enough. It's not enough to say, you know what, I know I'm hungry. You've got to eat. In a soul, when you're aware of it, it's like feeding it. Because awareness, the care, the empathy, the, the, the sense that I recognize you're there gives a soul value. And it often gets drowned out, the soul's voice, in the din of our survival, in the rush hour of so many things that we're busy with that we don't even hear the music of our own souls and we don't even feel its hunger. So awareness, consciousness, identifying soulfulness in things that you experience. The second thing is to act on it. It's not just enough awareness. That's a great beginning. Acting on it is actually finding things each day that you do that are not for you and you alone, that help another loving gesture to an individual, sending an email or a social media post, a kind word, a warming word, looking out for the needy, some way helping someone who may have special needs. Just examples. Deliberately going out of your way to do transcendent activities. Now sometimes you'll feel that you want to do it. It's pleasurable. But even when you don't want to do it. Because what you're doing then is introducing exercise into the soul even when there's resistance. You know, when is the muscle really worked out? When you feel resistance, you feel that lactic acid, you feel the pain. When you're really pushing its limits. The same thing with the soul. Do it when it's not that convenient. And you're exercising your soul's muscles. Quote, unquote. The next thing is to identify the components I mentioned, the faculties. Whether it's the cognitive ones, the emotional ones. And see what you can do in each case to introduce that soulful transcendence into it. Your mind, yeah, you may be using your mind for business for other mundane activities, maybe good things, perhaps focus your mind on a spiritual idea. Stretch your imagination. Stretch your limits. Push yourself to think about an idea that maybe was beyond you, something really transcendent. Go out of your comfort zone. And do the same thing with your emotional faculties, whether it's love, whether it's restraint, Exercise, push the limits, push your muscles, exert yourself. So in the body we sweat. In the soul, it may not be physical sweat, but it's still effort that's equivalent of perspiration. And that opens up new channels, conditions, and causes your soul to give you more energy because it now has, now has more outlets to express itself. And then, of course, the more you learn about your soul. And there are many books that talk about the soul. You can find a lot of material on our site, MeaningfulLife.com, 
with bibliography as well and other reading materials. Whatever you read about, the more information you have, the more you get to know yourself. And that, of course, is vital because the more you know your soul, the more you can feed it. You can't feed something you don't understand. What you can do is feed it. And as you feed it, it emerges. And as it emerges, it gives you much more than you give it. So my friends, in conclusion, there's soul-centric life and there's a body-centric life. The soul-centric life is focused on going beyond yourself, looking up and reaching for the stars. The body-centric life is the one that focuses on looking down and seeing what do I need now to survive. We need to have a balance of the two, but you have to first begin. The more you introduce gazing upward, the more it lifts you and your body up to higher levels. And this is what is the ultimate so-called calling that you can live up to. Because when you do that, the sky is the limit beyond the sky. And you can experience freshness, renewal, Recharging of your batteries all the time. And this is, in a way, the mission of our Meaningful Life Center. Myself. To help provide tools, resources, educational materials, programs that can help you find your soul and access it and actualize it. And have the courage to do so. And not be trapped in the habits and routines of yesterday. But being able to really grab the opportunity, seize the opportunity, and dare to reach heights unprecedented that you have never reached before. So thank you very much. We are here every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Please share your comments, your thoughts, your feedback. Share with your friends. And as always, I always conclude with a blessing that everybody should have the strength, the courage, the insight, and the peace of mind and the health to actualize yourself, and enrich the world with a voice that only you can contribute. We also always welcome your support and generosity, especially as we conclude this tax year with a generous donations, supporting our programs. Many of them are free. By going to MeaningfulLife.com slash donate. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We see ourselves as partners. And please contribute also your ideas and thoughts for future programming, for future um, activities. And we have a lot of good news coming, a lot of good stuff happening. And uh, be in touch. Stay in touch. Thank you so much, and everyone have a very blessed week.